Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Airwave, the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, helping you to use breathing to your advantage. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere at any time on any aircraft. Plus with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, 
All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast and they'll take care of the rest. And airway. What if I told you that you could train harder for longer and recover faster just by wearing a mouthpiece? I know. I questioned it too. Then I gave it a try. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece is a breakthrough in performance technology that is scientifically proven with over 15 years of peer-reviewed published research at the Citadel to open your airway by 25% for improved breathing, resulting in a 20% decrease in respiratory rate, an increase in muscular endurance, and 50% reduction in cortisol levels post-workout. Now, what does this mean to me? Well, now I'm able to train harder, recover faster, and be even more prepared for when that SAR alarm goes off. You don't need to take my word for it. Try it yourself and see how you can use your breathing to your advantage. Go to airwave.com or visit them on Instagram at airwave to learn more about it. Then, when you're ready to give it a try, because you heard about it here at The Real Rescue, you get 10% off with the promotion code REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Coming up next, you actually know this guy from episode eight. He's coming back for version 2.0. More rescues with more great advice. Please welcome Mr. Rob Monday. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Man, I got a version 2.0 coming at us, Mr. Rob Monday. What's up, Rob? How you doing, brother? Yeah, doing well, Quinny. How about you? Stoked to be back. I'm surprised you invited me back after the first one. <laughs> Whatever, dude. This first one was freaking awesome. And, and oh, yeah. this is the greatest part about it, is like, you've got more rescues. Since you were on episode eight, by the way, for all those that uh, that don't remember OG. and or that, yeah, eight. Go back, listen to episode eight. And you can hear all Rob's beginning, yeah. how he got into aviation, helicopters. It's a freaking wild story. I loved it. So, but now, like, not only are we, you and I have worked together since that, that episode. We've been a couple of trainings together and conferences yep. and, oh, we've had some fun, man. It's been good. It's been good. Well, welcome totally. back, brother. It's good to see you. Thanks. Yeah. You've, uh, you've. Got some stuff done since we last chatted, Quinny. This thing's kind of blown up a little bit. Hey, congrats. I, I, thanks, man. I think so. Uh, for everybody out there, I think you guys like it. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing something good. right because I'm still going. <laughs> totally. And you invited me back, like I said, so copy too bad. Yeah, bonus. Bonus. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Rob, you and I, uh, so we've been talking a little bit offline about like a bit of our conversation today. And, and one of the things that that I want to talk about is some of your rescues that you've had recently. Um, I guess, yeah, they're all within the, like the last year, right. Or two years. These, these couple. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like we here in Squamish, uh, we've been working with our local search and rescue team. 
and they've really only had a hoist program for three three years now. This will be the third summer that we've had it up and running. So yeah, fairly new um, and onwards and upwards and, and we're learning and growing and, and doing all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, it's it's been busy though. It's it's just gradually building every year. It seems to be that we're getting busier and busier. So yeah, there's there's always something something cool to talk about. Yeah, right. Well, now they know you can do it. You're like, oh, just call the helicopter. That saves us, oh, that's right, about 10 to 12 hours. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just having that extra resource. I mean, they've always been able, well, they've been able to do the short haul rescues for a long time here, but just having having another tool in the toolbox, right? It's it's not always the right tool, but these guys love being able to pick and choose and and you know pick the right tool for the job depending on on what they're trying to deal with. So yeah, being able to offer that to them is has been great and they're embracing it open arms. It's been really good. Yeah, buddy. I like it. Well, let's let's get into uh, one of them because, well, actually, we're gonna get into three, maybe four. I don't know yet. We're we're gonna have some little fun. But the one yeah, of them that you said, yeah. So uh, you had this actually posted on your social media account, and it was um, you had like two in the same day, and and then they, they, yeah. I, you know what? I've probably got a couple of them mixed up, but I know there was like two cliff rescues, and then one in the trees that was super high and start with the one that you remember yeah like there was there was there was a few there was uh we had a, a period of i don't know maybe about a month and it was pretty much all of august late you know sort of late july into august it's a busy time of year here in town anyway there's lots of visitors lots of tourists in town biking hiking climbing i mean it's it's a bit of a mecca for all those things i guess so yeah i think it's kind of go crazy there typically for for the summer months but yeah, it, it depends on which order you want to do them in, I guess. But uh, we we sort of ramped up our use of, you've talked about it lots, the Petzl Lazard uh, rescue device. Lizard. Awesome. Love it. So we've, we've sort of got that fully rolled out now with the local team here and uh, and they've you know got the training done and they've, they've done lots of lots of hands-on work with it and they're getting really, really proficient at, at the use of it now. And uh, yeah, we had a call uh yeah mid midsummer type deal and um uh climbing party with a just like a, a fairly basic uh lower leg injury um one of the climbing uh members in the party just a lower leg a lower leg injury uh, but in some really 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 technical terrain and and you know it doesn't take much in, in that sort of terrain to not be able to get out easily i mean you can hobble out and it could be a week or whatever to get out of there but when you're in that terrain, <laughs> it's uh, it's so true. A small, like... a small thing is is a big problem. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what did you? So, the call came in with what a guy just injured on the rock, or what? Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of things that happen out here, uh, a lot of the climbing groups and the mountaineering groups are actually guided. So, there's uh, there's a professional out there with them. That's uh, more often than not, I would say that's what it's part of. And the great thing for us is that they're uh, really well prepared. They've got all the right tools. They've got GPS tracking. They've got sat phones. They've got, you know, in reaches and things like that. So, and they've got skills, right? Like the guide is is highly qualified uh, to, to be in that terrain. So makes our life a lot easier when when we have someone like that on scene who can call us and say, hey, we've, we've had this problem and this is what we're dealing with. They've usually got medical training, you know, that sort of thing. But in this case, it was, it was simply a matter of like 
we, we just can't get this person out of here. Like we, we're going to need some help basically to, to try and figure it out. So uh, luckily for us in, in this part of uh, the area that we work in here, the, it's called the Tantalus Range. So it's quite a well-known uh, climbing mountaineering location. Lots of people come out here for that specific uh, that part of the world um, and multi-day hikes and stuff like that up in there. But like proper mountaineering with ropes and and like some really pretty gnarly terrain. It sits at 6,000, 7,000 ish feet somewhere in that kind of range right? so it's not really really high mountains it's not like high 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 but it's certainly high enough that your aircraft starts to have to work hard and yeah it's it's it can be pretty complex up there so uh yeah we we got a call that this this hiker was basically or this mountaineering person was basically injured and needed help so we flew out there and went to take a look i think i actually sent you the video of, of sort of our arrival there and it was good for us because we knew what we were going into in advance. We had some really good intel uh, from the guide and we actually had a feeling before we even left, we're like, we're going to take the Lazard. We're most likely going to use it because we, we, you know, these people are, are connected to an anchor point up on the hill and, and like we, we knew what we were going into. So wow. that really helped us a lot. Um, but yeah, arrived on scene and, and basically pretty much exactly as expected uh, is this small group kind of huddled up on a cliff basically like a small little ledge maybe the size of a coffee table or something like that and yeah uh yeah i mean like you know big exposure you know you're up at six thousand seven thousand feet and you don't have a lot of margin for error up there so uh as soon as we start like yeah this is absolutely the perfect use for the tool and uh yeah we went about our usual sort of process of, of going through uh our checklists and and executing uh, what was actually like a fairly basics probably not the right word but it's fairly rudimentary in terms of we put a rescuer in they package the patient and we we bring them out you know like it's uneventful but when you look at the terrain and you look at the picture and you yeah. took an outside look and sort of watched it all unfold it's i mean it's impressive for sure but i guess in the moment for us and i'm sure you feel the same way it kind of felt like just another hoist, but in reality, it's like, wow, okay, that's actually pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Like you get into this the, a position, you're like, oh yeah, th this should be relatively easy. Boom. And then you, it, like, it goes off without a hitch, there's nothing wrong, and you're like, oh, this is perfect. Fly away, and you're like, mm -hmm. you know, that was kind of gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, we, we do that quite a lot up here, it seems like. I mean, it's sort of the terrain we work in it prepares us well for that. Like you said, you almost get like desensitized, I guess, because you're up in the mountains or you're in the trees or it's sort of, it's so common and so normal here that it, it makes everything, it, it does, it desensitizes you to the, to the significance of it. I think a lot of people would be put in that terrain and be fairly overwhelmed, but I guess we're just lucky that we have it here and it's, it's becomes more normal the more you do it. Yeah. Dang, man. <laughs> so hey, remind me real quick, you're but, clear, uh, you've got one pilot, do you as a hoist operator or winch operator, depending on what part of the world you're from and, and yep. then uh, a rescueman or is that? Yeah, typically, okay. typically depending on which aircraft we're flying. So here we operate two hoist aircraft. We have an EC-135 and a Bell 212, which is quite, quite opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of size yep. and capability. And, and horses for courses, they're both actually really great hoist aircraft for their specific purpose. You know, uh, on this occasion, we're in the Bell 212. So a little bit bigger, a little bit more power. 
Uh, and we chose that area. We had the option and we chose the 212 just because it has a little bit more space and a little more power up high in altitude, middle of summer. So it's still hot up there. It wasn't below freezing or anything. So it was certainly, you know, the aircraft is working a little bit harder. And, and we actually had, uh, we had uh, like a team leader, a search and rescue team leader sitting in the front left seat. And he's basically just coordinating the radio and, and just managing the incident as a whole, a kind of like a, an upper level view of the thing. And then we have a single pilot, which almost all our operations are single pilot here. I just, we don't have pilots sitting around to, to, to do that. We're a company, you know, we're trying to go, they're yeah. probably out working somewhere else at the time. We don't have lots of guys sitting around to go flying. So uh, middle of summer, particularly, we had a big wildfire year this year. So lots of guys are busy. And then we'll usually go out with at least two search and rescue technicians. We typically won't go out with just one rescue specialist. Um, it's usually a team of two at least, depending on what we know we're going into. And then one pilot or two? Just single pilot, yeah. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I was, yep. So, and you fly a single pilot in both aircrafts, right? We do, yeah. Okay. So a single pilot yeah. and then a hoist operator and usually two uh, rescue techs. Yeah, and so we had two rescue techs in the back and then that team leader was sitting in the front as well with this aircraft just because we had the extra space and payload to do it. Dude, that's awesome. All right, so now yeah, let, let me nice. get into a little more detail with this guy going down. Um, the Lazard, for those that don't know about the Lazard, and we could, we could actually touch a little more on this, Rob, because you have way more information than I do on yeah. it. But the short version of it is it's a, it's a beautiful piece of kit by... Petzl, and the idea is you can be connected and anchored to the rock or cliff face, or like the guys over in Norway used it on a vessel. They clipped to the mm -hmm. railing of the vessel, so they weren't going to fall off. As soon as you connect the hoist to, to it and then put a load on it, it disconnects from the rock face or whatever you're connected to, and boom, you can just you're you're free and clear to to leave the area. Again, beautiful design piece of equipment. So. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but the guy that's on the hook, so your rescue tech going down to those yeah. guys, does he have it on him? Yeah, so it's basically in line. Uh, he's deployed with it. Uh, he's always connected to it. It's connected to the hoist hook. It's, it's ready to go. And that's kind of the beauty of it is that you can get into less kind of technical terrain where it's like, maybe we need it, maybe we don't. And if you don't need it, you don't use it. You just treat it like a normal lanyard or a whatever that you're using between you and the hoist hook it, it's it's just a connection point right like it, it doesn't have to be utilized you can get in you can arrive on the scene and say you know what this is actually pretty mellow i don't need it and just not you know that that's the beauty of it i think it's not you're not ever committed to it but uh it's always there and it's always available and as long as you brief that procedure it's uh yeah it's it's quite a it's, it's one of those like good bits of gear. Like I talk about it all the time, but you should forget that it's there. You know, it should just, it should just become part of what you do. It's not like you're focusing on it. It's yeah. just the best pieces of gear. They don't feel like they're, they yeah. just kind of disappear into the background. They just, they just do their thing, you know? And that, yeah. that's what this feels like. And it's great for me as a hoist operator looking down and just knowing like we're good, you know, we're, we're this right. is just the level of confidence that it gives you in that terrain is unbelievable it's just it's so much nicer knowing that if something was to go a little bit sideways which you know it's it's windy up there it's we're bumping around a little bit it's just nice to know that if we move a couple of feet we're not going to have a big problem here it's 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 pretty comforting that's awesome now the rescue tech goes down he connects to the rock connects to the patient yep. disconnects from the rock and then 
gets hoisted up. Is that kind yeah, of basically. Too? So the patient, the the in this case, the subject was already uh, on an anchor on the wall. So for us, it's just insert the rescue tech, like you say, he clips to the wall, disconnects from the hoist hook, and and we move away and and basically let him do his his patient packaging there on the ground. Yeah, and then go back in and then connect raise up yeah so he's got his the he's got the whole package basically already prepared so the lizard has two tails on it which one for him one for the patient uh and so when and they're connected to the wall at that point and that would be the only thing that's connecting them to the anchor on the wall and then once we come in and deploy the hoist hook all he's got to do is make that connection to the lizard device it's just one connection and then we, when we pick him up, either he can reach over and disconnect from the wall, or like you say, if the aircraft moves or he isn't able to disconnect from the wall, it's no stress because the lizard just basically ejects that tail once it's under weight. And that's the yep. beauty until it's weighted, until you're connected and you've got a really solid uh, weighted connection to the hoist, it, it won't release. So that's, right. the, that's the transition point is once that hoist cable is weighted, it allows the tail of the lizard to to release, but until then you're totally safe on the wall, or you're totally safe on the aircraft. You're never in that weird state of flux like you can be without that device. It's yeah, it's cool. Dang, that's awesome! God, that's yeah. sick. <laughs> it's and, fun. Uh, out of curiosity, do you remember how high you were for the the rescue? Yeah, we have uh, one of our pilots is actually a bit of a. He's a bit of a smart ass. So we went in and we did the insertion and he asked me, he's like, oh, what have you got on your pen? And I said, one, 163 or whatever I said. And uh, yeah, to the, to the, I just looked at my pen. It was 163. And I remember we went back in for the extraction. I deployed the hoist cable again. And I asked him, I said, Frank, are we about at the same altitude as we were on the last one? He's like, oh, well, he's like, oh, I think we're about a foot higher. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can't possibly know that. Uh, then you look at your hoist pennant, 164. Yeah. Son of a bitch! Yeah, he nailed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. He's a pretty switched on dude. It wouldn't surprise me if he has some weird Jedi mind or something that he can do that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that. You clever bugger. I didn't even I didn't even catch it at the time and I watched the GoPro back later and I was like, you clever bugger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. So, uh, so that's one cliff rescue. You, I think you had another one, or is it is yeah. the other one on the same day? Is that is that? I, I might be yeah. So up a, couple a couple of weeks but... later, I, no, that was that was earlier. And then a couple of weeks later, we did. We had another busy day actually. We did, uh, and that's just the the nature of the place that we're in here. Two sort of very contrasting rescues on the same day, where it was like one down almost at sea level down deep in the trees on the river and then you know that same day we're up again at six thousand seven thousand feet hoisting off the side of a you know a cliff again we didn't have to use a lazard on that one which is really nice like it's i love the device but it's always great when you don't have to use it as well things are yeah. typically a little bit easier so well you yeah, and i actually was, talk about it quite a bit so you and i talk about it quite a bit is like having option tools in the toolbox what do you need yeah. for that job it's you know, we should be the, I'm going to call it the Swiss army knife or the, you know, the Gerber tool, a multi-tool, yeah. whatever you want to call it. That's, that should yeah. be us in the aircraft as air crewmen and rescue men, because yeah. you never know what you're going to get. Oh, what, what piece of gear kit do you need for the job? So yeah, totally. I like that. Yeah. There's no, there's no worse feeling than, than getting out and arriving and being like, shit, I don't 
I don't have what I need to do this, especially when you right. know it exists and you either haven't got the training or you left the equipment behind or, or whatever. It's, it's so good to be able to have the tools to be able to just, it's like, we got this, we have a plan. We know how to do this because we've yep. trained it and we've practiced it and we have made the investment, bought the gear, learned how to use it. You know, that's, that's good. I enjoy that. So this next uh, cliff rescue didn't need to lose, use the Lazard. But what was your height on that one as well? Yeah, around about the same. It, it just, for us, especially we were in the, in the 135 on this one, the EC135. And a lot of people kind of underestimate, I think, or don't totally understand that aircraft for its weight. It's, it's quite a, a heavy aircraft and the rotor diameter is, is very small and it punches like quite a strong downwash. It's, um, it's, it's, yeah, you don't really realize and, and people think, oh, you know, big Blackhawk, whatever, you know, it, it pumps a lot of downwash and it does, but it's spread over a really big area as well. So that the rotor diameter aircraft size, it plays a big impact. And this is a small aircraft, but it's also a very tight rotor disc and it, it moves a lot of air. So we typically, even if we can go lower in the 135, we typically try and stay a little bit higher just to reduce that downwash and, and stop the guys on the ground getting blasted too badly, right? So usually like 150 for us is, is about as low as we go. We, we don't usually hoist any lower than that. Um, but yeah, it was around about the same, I think, in that sort of 150-ish range for memory. Nice. Um, any issues when you pick the patient up or getting the rescue tech down? <laughs> Yeah, no, it was all sort of relatively straightforward on on, on that one. It was it was tricky because we were kind of coming along a ridge line with with air, kind of turbulent air coming up over the top. So we kind of had to approach from a certain direction. We had quite a strong wind actually coming on the nose and sort of up over this ridge line. And so it was hard because there was a like a a spur, I guess geographically, I guess that's what it's called, where it comes down from the ridge down slope, like a, a high ridge that comes down off the main ridge. Yeah. And it was really hard because the guys were just on the backside of that. We were approaching and you couldn't get visual on them until almost right on top, you know. So we had to con the aircraft almost like blind into the spot and then try and get some hoist cable out in advance. And it was like, yeah, just everything's every time it's different, right? It was just that was a new one. And I'm sure you've had that experience too where you think you know where the spot is and then you don't really know until you're just kind of coming over the ridge and you're deploying waste cable. Like, man, I, I hope we've got the right spot here. You know, I hope, I hope this is what I thought it was. And you know, how many times have you found the guys on the ground and you do a circuit and you get totally turned around and you're like, I got no idea where they are. You know, where they go? Right. <laughs> exactly. So that you always have that when you do that circuit to come around and do the final pickup, you're like, man, I hope I got this right. I hope it works, <laughs> but it did. Oh. So. I like it. I like it. Um, so, at a, 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 remind me again, right? So, we're we're do running two different aircrafts on the two twelve. You've got three hundred or two hundred ninety feet of cable, usable feet of cable. So it's two fifty on our two twelves. Okay, and yeah, then two fifty on, on the two twelves, and then two ninety two ninety feet on the one thirty five. So three hundred okay. feet. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just. Dang. And okay. you wouldn't want any less than that. I know, like, you can get A-stars and stuff like that with that shorter cable, the 170. It wouldn't work here. Like, most of our rescues are, are that or above. You know, we we regularly are using 150-plus feet. It's, like, even 250 on the 212 sometimes. Like, geez, I wish I had 20 more, you know. <laughs> you can make it work. You can make it work most of the time. But 
there yeah sometimes sometimes we use the whole lot you know it's it's yeah it happens well, and the reason i'm asking this is because the the next rescue that you had on the same day was another hoist rescue into the trees <clears throat> but yeah. the trees up in squamish in that area are huge like yeah huge, yeah huge. yeah by by most people's standards i mean they're big and the big thing for us too is, is it's combined with the topography, you know, like if you're in a, a steep gully or something, and if you could picture that, like, I mean, a, a really steep walled gully, it's not cliff, but it's certainly like steep hills, like 45 degrees or more. If you come up slope up the side of the gully, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet, and then you put a 200 or 250 foot tree on the side of that slope, it doesn't widen out fast enough to give you relief from the rotor blade. So you kind of have to be really, really high, you know? And so, yeah, like if you, if you get stuck in one of those spots where it's on a river or, you know, down in some deep gully somewhere, upslope in front of you, upslope to the sides, you find yourself at 250 to 300 feet above just, just to get your rotor clearances uh, good, you know? And, yeah. and we always talk about emergencies and stuff too. If something goes wrong, you don't want to have your skids in the treetops. You want to have a little bit of wiggle room so that you can do something if, if something doesn't quite go well, you know? So yeah. we don't want to be skids in the treetops, but there are, there are certainly places here where, where we're using all that cable and, and it's tight, you know? Jeez, oh man. You know, <laughs> it, it's one of those things like people don't think about. I get all in the area that you're in, in the world, you know, um, I've been in Humboldt Bay, California, where they have the big redwood trees, and um, yeah, I, I never had a chance to get in there, but, you know, like Pat Barber and other guys that have been yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some big trees and stuff, and when you're, when you're going full on, it's, uh, it's pretty legit, so. But let me, yeah, let me back yeah, up it's, real it's... quick. So, sorry, let me back up real quick. The, the case, yeah. you got a guy in the tree. What was the, what was the injury? Do you remember? Yeah, we picked up, uh, they were, I think, hiking down on the on the river and, and again, slipped, uh, broken broken leg, maybe, so lower leg injury anyway. Um, but you just, you're not getting out of there. You know, that's, it doesn't need to be much to, and it, like, even like for us, we always have the ability to potentially do a stretcher carry where we send, you know, eight to 10 search and rescue people down in there and then pick them up and carry them out. But the risks of the people, you know, then, then you get one rescue tech that rolls an ankle trying to get them out and you're back where you started from. It's like, well, that was really, two patients. You got you got to look at the safety. Exactly. Now you got to look at the safety for the rescuers as well. And some of that terrain that they're hiking through to carry people out of there is is just as dangerous as you know hoisting as we talk about. It's actually not particularly dangerous. And I think a lot of people overest or overestimate the risk yeah. that, that hoisting brings and and you know. The, the risk to someone rolling an ankle by carrying a patient out of most of these places is actually much higher. Agreed. Which uh, you and I, we're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah, a that's a later because, conversation. Yeah, yeah. But uh, man, that's legit. Um, now, if I remember correctly, you actually had one more that I want to touch on because you got called out for another, I'm going to call it just a call. It wasn't didn't turn into a, not so much of a rescue or anything like that, but you did max out the cable on a recovery uh, mm -hmm. and that was can, can you run us through that a little bit yeah like i said it happens right and and we did recently i mean we uh we were out uh yeah doing doing some hoisting the trees uh and 
you get to a point where it's like we know that we're high but the problem is it's really hard to judge like you know you're in the ballpark you're looking down you're like wow this is going to be really close you've got a rattle it's saying 300 and it's like you know i don't we don't know there's no way to know we don't know exactly how far it is to the ground so really uh, we same kind of idea we were next to a ridge line we had kind of turbulent down like winds coming up over the ridge and then pushing us down so we were pulling more power than we would have liked to for sure and, and certainly up up in the limits and you know you don't want to be sitting like i said skids in the treetops because if you do happen to get a good gust of wind coming down slope and, and it pushes you down like you can't pull enough power to, to maintain altitude it's actually going to start pushing you down you don't want to be skids in the trees because you just don't have any wiggle room right so we kind of set up at what we thought was comfortable to give us enough time to either fly away if we had to or, or you know give us some time to react if, if we did get a good downdraft and yeah same thing deployed all the cable and and we have the radios uh you know the rescuers are, are on comms with us and they're giving us information as they're going and especially with a, a hoist like that you know we're, we're letting them know hey give us give us good comms give us good hand signals because this is going to be pretty tight and you know, we're hearing them, they're saying 40 feet, 30 feet to the ground, you know, 20 feet. And you see the red cables start coming through your hands and you're like, oh, we're, we're not, we're not going to get there. Like this, is, this ain't happening. And, and we did, that's, that's exactly what we ended up doing is, is basically just deploying all of it until it stopped. We had 90, 92 and a half meters or whatever we've got on there out. And, you know, I, I said to our pilot, I'm like, can we, can we come down? He's like, well, yeah, we can quit a little bit. Like, and that's what we ended up doing is basically just oh, with 95 meters of cable out or whatever, just conning the aircraft down, down 20, down 10 with the guy on the radio, just letting us know 10 more feet, five more feet. There's the ground. And, and that's basically like all the cable. And, you know, we had a little bit of wiggle room to go lower, but certainly, yeah, any, any more than that. And it starts to become uncomfortable. Right. So yeah. we were, we were, and there was trees around us, like I said, on that, on that valley, you look out to the side and there's tree like there's mountains and trees above you there's on three sides it's you know you're not you're not up on top of the matterhorn or whatever you know with with clear air all around you you're you're in this bowl with with trees and mountains and everything all around and it's tight yeah it's 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 interesting so one of the other things that's interesting about that is that um you've got you know, you, you're asking the pilot to bring the aircraft lower into the canyon. You've got downwinds that are pushing you, you know. I, thankfully, I, I guess, well, all your all your rescuemen are on the ground at that point. So you're at least light in weight for aircraft-wise. So you yeah, have a little exactly, bit of power. Yeah. But as soon as you get ready to pick up your victim and one, one or two of the rescuers, you're going to be maxing out yep. the air, like power wise. Yeah. You know, you, you know that you're maxed out. Right. And, and in that occasion, we actually did, we had that second rescue tech in the back and, and we made the decision to actually insert them to the ground. Uh, and, and the plan, there was already rescuers on the ground. The plan was just to basically to either leave him there temporarily or, or leave him there and have him walk out with the ground team. Because we, we knew that we were like, we need, we need more margin here than, than what we would normally want just because, you know, we do get that downdraft and, and we need some extra jam to, to make sure that we give ourselves a margin. Otherwise, we're, put, we're putting everyone in a bad spot, you know, which is not what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. So on the extraction, how'd that go? Because if you're already descending down to put them on the ground, you got to descend yeah. down to pick them up, right? 
Yeah, and and you're right. Like you have to. There's that risk risk reward thing, right? And and you have to. We knew that for for a bit there, we're going to have more weight, and we're going to have you know less clearance to the trees than than what we had on the insertions. Because you know you got to remember now we've got a tagline too. If you're going to bring a litter or something like that out, so as soon as you start creating offset in the tagline, you're losing. You know our, our taglines for us. We have you know 290 feet of hoist cable and our, we've just made our taglines 290 feet as well because it's so rare that okay. we're using all all our hoist cable and, and we don't want to carry around hundreds of extra feet of tagline that we know we're never going to use or we're going to use very 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 rarely so for us we our taglines are 290 feet as well but if you go out and do a 290 foot hoist for real and can't descend anymore how do you create that offset right so for us we were able to sort of yeah we were able to we had to descend a little more than maybe we would have liked to and get a little bit closer to the trees and then as you as you start bringing the load in you can start descending and backing up and and you just got to manage that whole scenario to make sure that you've got the right you're not going to run out and that's the thing i'm not watching the guy on the ground you know the the rescuer on the line all I'm doing is watching the tagline to make sure we don't run out of rope. That's yeah. that's becomes the priority because, you know, and you're going to run out of rope when the lid is 30 feet below the aircraft, which is where that spin and stuff is going to be most severe. It's the time where you, you least want to run out of rope and, and have that tagline become ineffective. So yeah, it's, it's just mission, call it what you want, mission management, or it's, yeah, you just, you got to play, keep in mind all the different, cogs there right to make sure that everything's going smooth oh yeah 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 totally totally you know this there's, there's a couple guys that i know that have, have run out of room or run out of cable and uh you know you and i talked about it a little bit just a minute ago but pat barber you know when he yeah. was in the 865 and he actually talks about it on his podcast as well Is you know they get mm -hmm. into the redwoods and they have to descend down to get the guy on the hook or get get the yeah. rest of the off the hook and then get the guy on the hook and then climb back up and then hoist in and they had like two yeah. tag lines connected or two uh, trail lines in the coast guard but same thing a rope sure but yeah. you know yeah it's yeah. it's legit man Woo -wee. yeah the other one yeah is, it's it's always learning right always something new oh yeah yeah totally so keith carolyn is the other guy that i know that he ran out of house right. cable but he was on the hook so the he got down and, and from his perspective, he's like literally two feet from touching the ground. And he's like on <laughs> right. the whatever radio, like I need two feet. And they're up in the aircraft. Yeah. Like, I can't give you two feet. We're cutting the top yeah. of the trees right now. <laughs> can't do it. I know. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. tight. And, and we've had lots of circumstances where we've deliberately chosen to deploy. Yeah, we've been up on the tops of the mountains and you know, we, we don't, we don't want to put that person close to the ground. We want to reduce the rotor wash, whatever. We'll just pay out all the cable, but that's by choice. It's not because we have to, you know, like yeah. there's a difference there, I, I think. And, you know, you hear lots of stories about guys that fly lots in the mountains and, and do mountain rescue type stuff over in Europe and whatever. And yeah, they'll, they'll regularly go out and use all the hose cable because they've got it. Why not? Right. It's just a long, long line or a long short haul at that right. point. But when you're going down to the trees and, and, you know, we, we, talk lots about this too but there's no there's no dynamic hoisting there's no nothing like we're doing everything we can just to maintain a position and you don't dynamic hoist into 250 foot trees like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> say say what you want it's not happening right like 
we we're sitting in a position and this guy is going for well at 250 feet a minute he's going for a 60 second ride next to the trees like he's he's in the trees the entire time you know it's (laughs) yeah that's a different that's a different animal altogether and and it's yeah yeah, it takes practice yeah well and the thing of it is like you know again we've talked about it before like hoisting itself is not super difficult like Oh. You can go to a, a runway, uh, a an open field, and we we can teach you to hoist in, in a day. It's you know it's a little bit mm-hmm. of cable management, um, you know finesse on the controls. Yeah. Pilot holds your hover. You're good sure. to go. When you start yeah. adding into oh by the way you got 200 foot you know trees and or a cliff and somebody's hanging on the side of a cliff with downdrafts and coming over the top of the rock you know that's yeah. when that's when stuff gets like you need a a lot of training uh and a lot of practice experience mm-hmm. what a little bit of mix of both for sure to get that going but you know overall yeah. and anyone anyone that's been trained well to do anything really but anyone who's been trained in any aviation or helicopter well whether you're a pilot or a rescue tech or a hoist operator or whatever everyone at some point has no doubt experienced that helmet fire right where oh yeah you just everyone knows that they're in it but it's like everything just freezes and you're like i don't know what i'm overwhelmed i don't know what to do here and and when you're first learning you know if if someone invites me to go sit in the front of the aircraft and and try and figure out how to hover the helmet fire is immediate you know it's 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 a disaster and it's immediate because i I, i'm so far out of my depth and the fish out of water right but the idea is as you get better and as you learn those skills it, it takes more bad stuff happening or it takes more outside the bubble before you get into that helmet fire situation. And, and, you know, like, as you say, with training, all you're trying to do is train someone so that that bubble is absolutely massive before the helmet fire kicks in and it'll right. kick in at some point for everyone. Like you and I, it'll happen at some point for sure. But the yep. bubble is hopefully big you know and yeah. when when the helmet does catch fire it's not a blazing inferno it's it's manageable and, and you can talk yourself off the ledge or you can figure out a plan to sort of get it back under control or recognize that it's happening and i i personally i think that's the art right like that's that's what separates you know someone who hasn't been doing it for particularly long and someone who's been doing it for a long time is your ability to adapt and overcome yeah Oh, very much so. I mean, well, like I said, it's hoisting. The actual idea and of going out and doing hoisting is relatively easy. And, and a lot of agencies, sure. a lot of people do it with very minimal or little training at all. Or somebody mm-hmm. is like, hey, you know how to hoist. Go teach that guy how to run the cable. Okay, go. Right. But then all of a sudden you yeah. get into your your spins or your swings or you're like, and and then people are like, I don't know what to do. Like this wasn't part right. of my training or you don't have something exactly. written into your, you know, your manual or your, you know, uh, procedures to say, Hey, this is what you do when this occurs. So totally. Yeah. You look at all the, all the, uh, you know, incidents and accidents and stuff like that. And it's usually because, you know, something has moved out, something has happened that's moved outside of the scope of the knowledge or the, or the training, right? Like, and and the more training you do and the more knowledge you have hopefully the the bigger that scope is and the less likely the incident is to to occur right yeah totally 
Well, this brings up like the next one. You know, we we mentioned just a minute ago. It was like the risk versus reward. You know, you mm-hmm. can go into and have like what's the risk of you know going into pick up a a person or uh, maybe somebody that's that has passed away. You know, you're you got to go get them. Sure. You're going to get them out. Um, but is it? Yeah. Are you are you putting an entire air crew and aircraft to work for? somebody that's not that's been deceased but at the same time if you're sending 10 or 15 guys in to then have to hike that guy out over the rocks over terrain uh you know um Mm -hmm. dave so dave weber came on and was talking about the same thing you know you like yeah you know where he was in and 10 hour hike out of a guy that you know if you rolled up with a helicopter you know it's so much easier so much faster but people get so scared and they're like oh it's such yeah. a risky maneuver well it's no it's not it's, it's uh, when you have the training and you do it it's not that it's not as risky as you would think so yeah yeah and, and exactly and like you talk about risk versus reward right like i think it's really really unfortunate that people I think, and it's weird, rightly so in some ways, see training as the biggest risk. And it is. If you take a, a crew that's quite inexperienced and some of the some of the most dangerous hoists you'll ever do with a with a, a crew is as a brand new crew, a crew that's never done it before, a crew that's just learning, right? And that's you know, that's where, well, talk about SR3 and we go out and we train an agency who's never hoisted before how to hoist. Some of the very yeah. first hoists you'll ever do, even though if it's in the middle of a football field or whatever are probably some of the most dangerous hoists they'll ever do because it's a dynamic environment. There's lots going on. And that's why having instructors that are super switched on and, and are going to stay on top of that is, is really important. But people see that that training as the risk. And it's like, actually, that training, if you do it safely and if you do it in a controlled environment and if you ramp it up in, in a controlled way, you can ramp it up to 11. But you have to get there incrementally and you have to do it bit by bit. But once you dedicate the time to training to get better and better and better and better, the operations are, are crazy safe, like unbelievably safe. But, you know, the only times where the operations typically become unsafe is because you haven't trained for them and you haven't trained for them in a way that prepares you for the operation right uh, going out and doing you see it all the time going out and flying out into the middle of the airport runway or the taxiway and doing a 10-foot hoist and saying great work guys like our proficiency for the day is done like you're good for three months or whatever it doesn't really prepare you for that 200 foot hole in the no. trees with the turbulent downflow and yeah like yeah there are ways to train for that and, and i've talked about this before there are there are ways to train for that scenario safely you don't have to go out and put yourself in harm's way to be good at that but there are certainly ways to train for it where you can get a lot of benefit from from those scenarios in a way that's going to prepare you for the real world uh safely which is which is i i think like i'm all for it Go out and train hard. Like go out yeah. and train as hard as you can. But well, in the real world, when you, don't, when you more, don't have right? an out, yeah. yeah. Well, but just find that a little bit more. Like when you're saying train hard, it, you and I are on the same page with this. Is create the scenario and do mm-hmm. the scenario. You know, make right. it a, a difficult totally. hoist. You know, get off. You totally when sure. you and I first met. I mean, you and I were 
like we went out to that we were at the ramp we were hoisting at the ramp yeah. and all of a sudden we're in the trees then all of a sudden you yeah. and i were on like a we are literally <laughs> hoisting to a tree stand of some yeah. dude in the, in the tree i don't think was actually all that stable <laughs> yeah probably not we are putting guys in a tree stand 20 feet off the ground right like that is precision hoisting and that was a training environment and i love yeah. what you said there it's a controlled environment at no point in time was right. it ever a spot where we're like oh we have no control of the surrounding area we knew what was going on and, and we had we had right outs everywhere so and that's the, question the thing is, like you can oh, get yeah. all the training benefit out of it by and, that, and that's part of the art of choosing good training locations as well right like if you want to practice hoisting into a box canyon go and find a box canyon that's boxed on three sides and you've got an out on the fourth one you right. know go and find a place where there's an emergency landing site 50 feet off the nose of the aircraft where directly below you it's as real as it gets you know but you don't get to choose those areas in the real world when you go out and you do a real rescue you don't get to choose the fact that you've got an emergency landing site this beautiful big football field 50 feet off the nose but in the training environment you can find the most gnarly terrain in the world with a helipad 100 feet away that those those places exist you got to search for them sometimes but they exist and so if you're going to go out and try and do something that you know is is technical and challenging and all that good stuff set yourself up you know set yourself up and, and yeah. don't you know don't box yourself into these these shitty spots with no out right like give yourself an option where if it all goes sideways if this and brief it you know if this all goes sideways guys we're going here and we're doing this yeah. and we're flying away because we can we've set ourselves up that if, if we fly forward and right from here we have an out and and that's yep. just going to make everything be okay again and we can go around and we can say what the heck just happened and talk about it whereas if you go out and, and you're in the real world and it all goes sideways for the very first time yeah you, you're yeah. asking for trouble you know and that's fun when when you know that you're going out and you're training something highly technical but you know you've got an out it's actually pretty fun you know because yeah. you, you can yeah. feel confident that hey we're going to go out and do this quite challenging thing but we know that we have an option here if it doesn't go so well it allows so gives you confidence to try it right yeah and the greatest part about what you just said there is that you can actually train the emergency oh what mind okay. blown yeah literally so now okay. you're in a hover you're in a hoist guys outside the aircraft and pilot says oh i've got an engine failure Ooh. right and what are we doing we're gonna fly forward we're gonna drop we're gonna do what we've briefed but the greatest part yep. about it again it's on that controlled environment you're just making the maneuvers of the aircraft and you're going to land bringing the guy right. back in the aircraft you know um again all yep. training so i don't want to put anybody like 10 people in the aircraft i don't want to be cutting cables and stuff like that sure. but you know, mm. let's, let's, I, let's throw a couple more EPs in there. You get into this area and you know what? Create a spin. Totally. Get out of it. Yeah. And we do that. That's the best yeah. part. Like we, we went out there and we said, hang on, you know, there's all this talk about hoisting with taglines, right? Like taglines are great. They work awesome. They stop spin. They, they do a great thing. Can it be done without taglines? That was our question. And we're like, well, let's go find out. Right. So we found a training area that, that gives us all of those outs and all of those options. And we start hoisting 
the litter in without a tagline. And we knew, we knew 100% at some point that thing was going to start spinning. We knew it was going to happen. But we said, when it, when it does, we're going to commence forward flight. We're going to pay out cable. Everything's going to be okay again. And we did exactly that. We, you know, like that would be madness in any other, like that would be a catastrophic or a serious emergency. But yeah. because we, and now we're able to stay, we say, all right, like, and when it starts happening, we took a look at the pennant, all right, 32 feet. Like we know that within the range that we expected it to be in, everything's fine until 50 feet. Everything's fine at 40 feet, 30 feet, 35 feet, bang, there it is, right? And now it's predictable because we've done you know we've done the research we it's not just it's not just some gospel anymore it's not just something you read on the internet it's a real thing and yeah it's all documented and now we can say to all our hoist operators in that particular aircraft with no wind at 35 feet shit's going to hit the fan right and you know now we know and and we can also demonstrate that when you start flying away pilots calling airspeeds you know five knots 10 knots 15 knots 20 knots bang yeah spin stops and, and now because because we trained it and because we proved it and, yes. and we did it in a controlled environment it, it, we can now prove that anytime right. we are below 30 feet below the aircraft and above 20 knots we won't see spin right. we know that Agreed. because we proved it so well and the other part it's, about it it's is incredible. now when you get into real life okay and and you mentioned it earlier you had a tagline connected to a litter of a guy that's coming up out of high trees and you're trying to create an offset and all of a sudden you a run out of tagline or be the weak mm-hmm. link, which everybody should have a weak link on their taglines that breaks. Sure. Well, now yeah. you've got a hoist of a litter and a guy with no tagline. You're at 30 feet below the aircraft. What are you right. going to do? You know, we've seen videos over exactly. and over of guys getting to spins and they're like, I don't know what to do. Well, you should have trained it. And then you would know going to forward fight. Right. 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, there's an out here, you know, and, and we know what it is. And, it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be some big scary monster in the closet you know like it's not a big deal we've done it i've been the guy on the hook spinning I, you know i've been the hoist operator spinning my buddies and but i know because i've done it that we can fix it and i know how to yeah. fix it and we've done it and like and same with the guys on the on the line they have confidence that it can be fixed yeah which is yeah. amazing like that's that's it just it eliminates that kind of stigma or whatever around that because you know it's preventable and you know it's curable when it happens well what's funny about that is like that and and we're just talking one we're talking about a spin there's you know you have a swing or you have um oh gosh you have you know lost comms there are all these different eps that are out there and they're there are very simple fix for a lot of it but people try to reinvent the wheel or build too much. There's a lot of equipment for a lot of things. And, and I know we talked about just a minute ago as well, the, the idea of, Oh, you have, you're the multi-tool in the toolbox, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter what is thrown at you, you've got a piece of a gear or equipment kit to go do that in particular scenario. And with all this tools and equipment, sometimes people forget going back to the basics we just need to get back to the basics. Totally. Keep it yeah, simple. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, it's, to me anyway, the, the biggest one right now in the industry that everyone's talking about uh, is swing and spin. Like that is, 
everyone, everyone out there, doesn't matter who it is, everyone's trying to come up with a way to stop swing and stop spin, right? And, and there's a million ways to do it. But at the end of the day, for the most part, if the pilot can hold a solid hover, the load will not swing, right? right? Yeah. Like, and so maybe it we does, should be, maybe we should, should be, be like into it as a hoist operator to stop it. Right. And if it, if it does, it's not going to be bad. Like right. swings are pilot induced basically. And it's nothing against the pilot. Sometimes the weather's bad. Sometimes the references are garbage. It happens, right? But at the end of the day, if the pilot is giving you the best possible hover on that day that you can get, you're in a good place. You know, I, I am very, very lucky to work with some ridiculously good pilots. And when the aircraft doesn't move, the load doesn't swing. End of story. And so, so I, I actually, one of the things I talk about, I, I talk about three, there's three ways that swings happen. This is, this is what I, mm -hmm. when I get into guys and I talk to them as well, it's there's the pilot's fault. Because he moves and removes the load. The hoist sure. operator's fault because you did not get, like, you did not con the pilot over the top to get that plumb load. Or it's the right. rescue man, the guy on the hook, it's yeah. his fault because he'll connect and take three or four steps backwards and then give you a ready for pickup. And, like, totally. you just moved yeah. off center. So there's three ways yeah, totally. that it can happen. Um, there is kind yeah. of a fourth way, and that's like not knowing, like, a, a vessel or something moves. You know, like everything's sure. set up, but then that moves. But either way, as soon as you get that swing, there are ways mm -hmm. to control it. 100%. Yeah, picking, I mean, picking plum, obviously, that's just, that's yep. a given. I, I was referring more earlier to once that load is below the aircraft. If you if you can pick oh, plum. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, then, then it's all pilot and juice. But up until that point, you're right. Picking plum, not having, you know, rescuers run around on the ground underneath you. It's all super important stuff, but you know once that load is picked and it's plumb what's gonna what's gonna ruin your day is is a subpar hover and and pilots can be trained like it's it's crazy i'm not a pilot don't get me wrong but you can you can certainly train i've seen it happen you can train a pilot to be better at hovering particularly at 200 feet off the ground and in this environment that a lot of pilots don't spend a lot of the time because that's you know, dead, look at the dead man's curve. It's a pretty dangerous place to be. Most pilots oh, yeah. in this joysting don't want to don't want to be there. So, yeah, it's it's like that can be fixed with training and trying to come up with all these crazy ways to fix fix that. Let's start, like you say, back to basics. Let's just teach the pilots to hover. Yeah. You know, let's start with that, and then if the pilot can hover, I can be trained as a hoist operator. You can train me how to get that pilot over the load but oh, yeah. if the pilot can't hold a, if the pilot can't hold a hover in a 20-foot circle if, if he's bumping around all around that 20-foot circle the chances of you picking plumber you may as well shoot for the lottery like yeah. you might get it but it's pure luck right because you're just passing over the top of the target back and forth and you just got to pick it just right but as soon as you picked if, you, if you're moving around inside that 20-foot bubble the load's going to swing it's just going to happen yeah. so start with that and then you know like control it with good rider position as a rescue right. specialist just just learn what your body does in the rotor wash and learn what it does to make or break everyone else's day basically totally. like you can you can just ride nicely on the hook and, and you can fix if the pilot's hovering solid and the rider position's good on the hoist that's free i'll tell you that right now that tip is free like i can teach you how to do that in two minutes right and if you're doing that you're 90 you're 90 percent of the way there and then for any little bits of anything else that you might see along the way, 
just taglines. You can buy a tagline for a couple hundred bucks from your local climbing store. Basically, tie some knots in it, put some weak links in it, and that's going to fix the rest of the problems. Or, like you say, learn that forward flight. But right. they are cheap, cheap, cheap fixes. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. You don't need yeah. to go crazy. Go back to basics, and yeah. and you know, a lot of those problems solve themselves. I totally agree. And you know, it's again when you're talking about learning and and getting the training that you need. Um, recommendation from I, I would say both of us I'll speak for both of us at the moment is if you get an experienced pilot it's easier to teach a new host, hoist operator with an experienced pilot because they yeah. can they can make the corrections that, that he knows that you're going to screw up in the back for reverse sure. that if you have a new pilot up front that's learning how to do the hoisting and learning how to how to get into a good position having an experienced hoist operator in the back will help you immensely. It's just like, I, I know as a hoist operator at this point in my career that I know when you're going to screw up as a pilot, you know, you might overshoot, Mm -hmm. you might, you might not anticipate that rolling into that hover that hitting the brakes to, to stop as I'm conning you in, you know? Um, So I can compensate. Yeah, exactly. And and like we say, Quinny, we're we're not pilots, right? But we can certainly, I know, like if I say I need you to come left five and and you feel this huge big rock, you're like, that's too much. (laughs) We're in trouble here. (laughs) Like you've just, like immediately we're just induced to swing, right? And so we can give some feedback. We can be like, hey, that was a bit aggressive on, on the move there. Like whatever you think you need to move, take it down by think half it. or maybe even a just half again think just think it. about It'll it right? happen. <laughs> you can never you can never really move too slowly when you're hoisting but you can certainly move too quickly and 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 i mean as we know like having pilots providing pilot training is infinitely better than you or i could ever do you know oh yeah yeah i i, I might you know try to be cool and be like a pilot and, and all that sort of stuff but i never will be right like you need you need a pilot. You need someone. You need a Dave Callen. Let's can, go, Dave Callen. <laughs> sure. You need a, You need a pilot. You need someone who's done this before to say, like, what I, I'm watching your cyclic hand, and I can see the movements you're making. Let me show you what movements you need to be making. Let me show you how to fix this. And like having a pilot in the front and just ask, what are you looking at? What are your references? What like how are you, how are you holding this hover right now? And if they're, their eyes are darting all over the place and they're looking at the trees and the mountains and the sky and the clouds and whatever else, yeah. you know, it, it all, and they don't know any better. It's not their fault. They don't know any better. They've never had to do this before in that kind of terrain or that place. All it takes is a pilot to say, look at that tree and don't stop. Like, yeah. but they, you, don't know, you don't know, right? Like, they, you don't know what you, you don't once know. You've been told, once, once you've been told how to do it, it's all so easy and and it's like giving someone the pilot controls and never telling them what to do it's like figure it out it's like of course it's going to go bad you know like <laughs> but a little bit of training and a little bit of yeah. knowledge is, is so helpful so well heck even dave and i were talking about it one day is that they had an emergency down in vegas um where the rescue got into a spin and the the pilot that was flying the aircraft in the right side they asked him to go into forward flight but he creeped into forward right. flight but in all reality, sure. he could have moved a little bit faster. What mm-hmm. the debrief was is that he's used to flying a bigger, slower, I believe a 212 off the top of my head. I, I might yeah, they had a Huey wrong. before. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they had a Huey. So that was a slower transition because of the way the aircraft is designed versus the, um, what is it, the 135 is what I think they moved into. 
Yeah, they're in the 145. 145. Sorry. So the 145. But yeah, it's different aircraft, sports car yeah. versus pickup truck, right? Yeah, they, like, he could You just fly it differently and, and you just didn't know. Totally. Yeah, but all it takes is a demo to be like, hey, this is what this is what right. that forward flight transition looks like. Demo it. And then he's like, never makes that mistake again. Right. Exactly. Like, but having having a pilot there to be able to do that is, is yeah. so important. Yeah. So and we've yeah, seen a lot, a lot of places are very lucky. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And a lot of places are very lucky to have that really, really sort of skilled group of pilots already. And it, it's like, this isn't, like you say, hoisting isn't hard. Well, it's not when you've got pilots that are, to be honest, that that good. But when when you've got pilots that haven't had that experience before or haven't had the opportunity to sort of be shown how to do that type of stuff before, yeah, it's 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 hard. It is really, really hard to do it. And and sometimes we take that for granted. I think that you get a couple of good pilots that have done it before. And once you know, you know, but it's it's tough. So I like it. Rob, it this has been awesome. We've had a, such a, an amazing conversation with everything. Um, before we close out, like a couple of lessons learned or, or things that you might have learned on the fly. I mean, again, you've been doing this for a long time now. I mean, you've already been on this podcast once. You've you've done rescues. You've had more rescues, some a little more technical, but let's go simple, easy, and you know things that you have learned and lessons learned all your training all the gear all the equipment i'm talking way too much and tag your it <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I happy to talk to that a little bit i think uh you know one of the things that i uh, sort of i constantly have to remind myself uh, i guess here is like you say we we look out the window and we're in big gnarly terrain and and the cases that we do you know typically they're, they're fairly severe i guess like we have quite a high frequency of you know fairly significant injuries and, and technical terrain and, and things like that and i i personally like i would happily throw myself under the bus and, and say we we do get our fair share of fairly what you would call like basic you know basic scenarios where yeah. you know we're going out to pick up a lost hiker or whatever and yeah. i think i've i've caught myself a bunch of times where it's really easy to sort of fall it fall into that false sense of you know relaxation or security or whatever you want to call it where it's just another it's just another rescue and you know you've gone out and, and you come back at the end of it and you're like geez we we forgot to do part of our checklist like we arrived on scene it was so straightforward that we just kind of jumped into to doing it or you, you know you, you're going to call the rescuer to the door and, and you call them over and then they point at their retractable lanyard and you realize oh geez I, I forgot to like we're all human right we all make mistakes and sometimes right. on those really basic rescues you sort of you do you let your guard down a little bit you, you kind of lose track of of the basics or you just yeah you just you just kind of get distracted on on things like that or you're just having a joke with the pilot or, or whatever and you know I, I you're right I, I we've been doing this for a couple of years here now and I've I've done plenty of hoist before but you know the hoist I'll do tomorrow has the same consequences as the very first hoist I ever did right like people's lives right. are at stake and it just just because you've done more of them doesn't and that's what i realize often it doesn't reduce the chances potentially of something it actually potentially increases the chances of something happening because you kind of you get relaxed and you get complacent and and you know when i'm going out there and now i'm doing it quite often i'm reminding myself like this is this is still super important like pay attention 
do the checklist, follow the procedures, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm not any different to you or anyone else. Like we're all human, right. And we can all make mistakes and, and do make mistakes regularly. Uh, and, and luckily we have good support teams and good other members of the, of the crew that are working with us to try and mitigate some of that stuff and catch us as we go. But you know, you can, you can just as easily on those really basic cases. We did one fairly recently where we were out and it was relatively straightforward, a litter extraction taglines, everything was running well. And the feedback we got sort of after we were done, it is that the rotor wash from the aircraft was actually blowing quite a bit of debris out of the trees because we, uh, we inserted the rescuer and then kind of backed up away. And, and we didn't think or realize that that's sort of where the rescue is and the rescue team was sort of huddled up underneath us. And so we, when we backed up, we backed up kind of over top of them rather than away. Oh and yeah. Just like kind of, you know, getting lazy is not the right word, I guess, but just sort of, we just went We're thinking call it about nonchalant. that particular thing on that particular was, Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like <laughs> just didn't really think about it. And we're like, yeah. geez, we, we could have just been, we could have just been 50 feet high and that would have solved the problem or we could have backed up in a way here and, you know, just be super hyper self-critical, I think. And I, I try to be of myself anyway, but, you know, for everyone out there doing it, like just try and, be super hypercritical of yourself and, and always look for ways to do it better and differently. And yeah, like just try and find, try and find ways to do better because there's always ways. And, and the minute you say that was perfect, they're just lying. Right. Like yeah, yeah. it wasn't, someone, <laughs> it wasn't. someone's going to find a way to, it wasn't, someone's going to find a way to do it better. And, and, and like you say, when, when you go out on those really complex technical pencil lizard side of the cliff rescues, you switched on you know you are you're on you're on point and you're really paying attention and to be honest like you're probably less likely to make a mistake there than you are on the really easy one so yeah I, i've certainly caught myself a couple of times uh you know recently doing stuff like that and it's like we're all human but yeah big consequences right like you, right i'm pretty hard if, on myself it, anyway big but consequences you need to be. if something goes wrong that yeah. that's that's you totally. know like in and we're always planning for the what if and because you don't want to get for complacent sure. into it. And and I, you know what? I'm guilty of it too. I, 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 you know, I'll throw myself under the bus. You get into that training environment or you get into that just hoist, 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 hoist. You know, oh, we got to go out. We got to get 10 hoists today for training. Okay. Next thing you know, you're in, yep. you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm. Right. I'm just, you focus I'm just more going. on counting six, seven, eight. Exactly. Nine, I'm ready yeah. to go home. Like, Versus, oh, more, by the way. More. Yeah. Oh, you forgot that just in case there's an emergency. Oh, yeah, this is what we're going to do. You you get out of right. that. You're in that little that comfort zone of like, oh, nothing's going to happen. And then when it does, totally. you're like, oh, oh, yeah, shit. That's right. This is we still have to yeah. be on point all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's a good reminder for sure. And like I say, when when I'm out there hoisting and we're doing a rescue or whatever, like I'll kind of for lack of a better word, entertain myself by sort of sitting out there and thinking, all right, like what if something went wrong right now? Like what would yeah. I do? And I ask myself that every 10 seconds, 20 seconds, like what is my plan if this litter starts spinning? What would I do right now if that tagline broke? You know, where are we going if we lose an engine right now? Like yeah. what are we doing if the pilot calls abort? Just always thinking, and that's enough. That's enough to keep you on, on point paying attention, right? Like I, I kind of like to do that to myself if I recognize that that's starting to happen, I start to think like, what's, what's the plan here? What's coming next? And, yeah. and that just helps to kind of keep your mind, I guess, focused. And 
yeah, like it's it's a weird thought. I tell people this all the time, but like, you know, when you're hoisting guys in and out and and gear and rescuers and litters and things like that, I probably only spend 10% of the hoist actually looking at what's on the end of the hook. Yeah. You know, yeah. The rest of the time it's the tail <laughs> rotor, it's the tree on my right side. It's, you know, what's my what's my other rescue tech doing in the cabin? Is he somehow moved and I didn't see him move in the cabin to a different seat now the CFG's changed or whatever? It's that situational awareness, right? Like what are we doing if we have a problem with the aircraft? Like 10% I'm probably looking at what's on the hook because it doesn't matter if the aircraft hasn't moved because I'm checking that every few seconds and the guy in the back of the aircraft hasn't moved and and we haven't had any aircraft problem like everything stays the same right and so yeah yeah like that situational awareness that big picture thing is keeps you keep your mind busy you know yeah dude i love it (laughs) rob as usual it is amazing to talk to you and when i say that i'm gonna say like rob monday makes fun of me amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh it's always a pleasure quinny you uh you do great work but and uh everyone i'm sure you hear it a lot but everyone appreciates what you're doing so just uh yeah i'm happy to be a good time right i'm just here to both, have both. a good time <laughs> totally oh, just, just talking about hoisting it could be worse hey yeah yeah totally we can have a real job <laughs> it's even dark out so i can have a beer at the same time Hey, I cannot. So I, um, yeah, started my day. Well, I could, but it's probably not a good way to start my day. (laughs) You can can live vicariously through me instead. I'm okay with that as well. Very much so. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Well, Rob, man, I, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and just not only sharing the most recent rescues and stuff, but again, great, great conversation with tips, tricks, training, um, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. The feeling is mutual, Quinny. Right on. And uh, the next time I get up to Squawk, actually, we should be looking at a couple of places to to meet up in the near future. So, ooh, yep. oh, it's going to be exciting. What's going on? Us. Yeah, buddy. It's going to be busy. Ooh. I'm excited. Right on. All right. Well, I'll see you later, uh, wherever that later may be. <laughs> Soon enough, hopefully. Thanks, Quinny. Yeah, no doubt. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast please take a minute to like subscribe and hit that share button i'm pulling chocks and taking off but before i go if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share i would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here send an email to Jason at therealrescue.com. That's Jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.